For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Let's pray again. Father God, we come to you this day desiring to be fed by your word. And so we pray, Lord, for the gracious uh, help and direction and enlightenment that only your Holy Spirit can give. Lord, open our eyes that we may behold wonderful things out of your law. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our, our hearts in this place be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to, uh, I want to draw our attention today um, to something that's evidently happening between the lines of our passage in, in Galatians. Paul's naming a lot, of, a lot of very specific and very grisly kinds of sins, sins that we think would never dawn the Christian church, never enter the hall of the Christian assembly. Just to remind us, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And Paul addresses these issues because they are happening. It's why he has to issue such a stern warning. His language becomes very, very strong here. I warn you as I warned you before. I've already talked with you about these things, that those who do such things, they will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, the church at Galatia has not only drifted from the gospel, but the church at Galatia has drifted from the godliness that the gospel produces. 
And here's the thing. The church at Galatia is not an exception. And I have no easy answers for you this morning why that's the case. I've been employed in three different churches across the country and uh, as a pastor, and it's been my experience that there are few places on earth so cruel, so nasty, even so diabolical as the church. As one of my favorite Calvin scholars puts it, he says, there is no institution as ugly as the church, for it coats its depravity in pietistic smarm. <laughs> and if you've been in the church for any number of years, and if you're honest with your experience, you know this to be true. It's a vexing mystery how the institution that should be the most filled with light and with purity is bemired with sin and with wickedness. Martin Luther, when he, in his matchless commentary on Galatians, when he looks at this very text, he says that the apostle's meaning is very clear. Paul is saying, I want you, church, to love one another, but you don't do it. In fact, you cannot do it because of the activity of your flesh. And the alarming thing about this passage is that we have this church that is so far removed from gospel blessings that were intended for it. But again, it's not like Galatia was unique. Ephesus, you've lost your first love, the Lord says. You've fallen and you need to repent. Pergamum, you harbor heretics and the immoral within your walls. Repent. Thyatira, you tolerate idolatry and you tolerate the deep things of Satan. Sardis, you think you're alive, but you're dead. Laodicea, I am nauseated by your lukewarmness. You are wretched, pitiable, blind, poor, naked. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Galatia, you bite and you devour one another. And if you keep doing this, you're going to be consumed. Heather and I, the other night, we, we watched the first, of, uh, uh, first episode of the HBO series Chernobyl, and I'm still working through some post-traumatic stress from just that one episode alone. In 1986, the nuclear reactor core of that facility overheated and uh, it exploded, and the disaster that followed, the radioactive toxic disaster was terrific. I was 12 years old in 1986, and a number of things happened in 1986. We had the, the Expo in Vancouver. We had the Challenger disintegrating seconds after it launches in 1986. But I remember in 1986 the sense of horror at this radioactive mess as Chernobyl uh, went through its great, its great crisis. And I don't want to be disrespectful here, but when we think about a church gone bad, a church that tolerates the deep things of Satan. The magnitude of the destruction in the church is tantamount to this kind of nuclear disaster, a very real kind of horror in the church. I wish we could remember, writes Calvin, when the devil tempts the church to disputes, to slanders, to accusations, that these reproaches can lead to nothing else than the ruin 
and the consumption of the whole body. How distressing, how mad it is that we who are members of the same body should be leagued together for our own mutual destruction. If you keep biting and devouring each other, you're going to be consumed, says Paul. Radioactive, toxic disaster in the church. The ruin of the church, says Calvin, in response to Galatians 5, is no light thing. It's no light evil. And again, I have no easy answers for you this morning as to why the churches of Jesus Christ can be so bad, so filled with radioactive destruction, so polluted, so full of wickedness. I only know that they can. And they can be the most twisted and deformed of places. And it's no light thing to see the church in ruins. It's no light thing to see the church in its most ugly and its most vile state. And the world itself looks on and it groans. And it shakes its head. But I also know today that the church doesn't have to be like this. Whatever threatens the church, writes Calvin, must be opposed with the most determined resistance. You, church, must actively fight these things. And it's possible to resist badness and rottenness in the church. Even though the battle will always rage, even though the devil will always throw his stuff at us, it's possible in Scripture to be a church that shines. And of those seven churches in Revelation that I just referred to, there was so much bad, but there was also the church of Philadelphia, the church of brotherly love, where there was so much good. The church that Jesus said has such little power. You who have so little strength, but you've not denied my name. And with patient endurance, you have kept the word of Christ. And so you see today, the Bible is very realistic about the danger but it doesn't leave us in the mire of hopelessness. It invites us to repent. It invites us to confess our shame as churches, to confess our crookedness and our badness, and it invites us to buy gold refined by the fire. And this is what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5, and we need to listen to him this morning. We need to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Don't go down that path of destruction, church. Don't go down the path of biting and devouring, of slander and anger and rivalries and dissensions and division and envy at being bitter at each other and resenting each other, harboring dark thoughts. Don't go down that very wide and ambling path which is very easy to take and which many people have taken, but rather consider the gospel. Purchase the gold of the gospel because, Paul says this morning, it's the gospel that sets us free from all of these dark and destructive forces. The gospel alone keeps the church from being its own kind of Chernobyl. And you see, what Paul has been working through in Galatians is the doctrine of freedom. The gospel means freedom. We are children of the free woman, he says in Galatians 4. For freedom, Christ has set you free. We read in Galatians 5, for you were called to freedom. Galatians 5.13. Well, free from what, Paul? Well, freedom from condemnation. 
The gospel delivers us from God's righteous judgment. It delivers us from the hammer of the law, the righteous stroke of God's anger. Under the gospel, the, the law no longer sees us as God's enemies, but the law now sees us as God's friends. We're also free from that onerous and impossible labor of earning our salvation through obedience to, law, to the law. We're not under the law that way anymore. We're not under the law in a way to try, and I don't think we ever were, in fact, to try and justify ourselves, but rather the law is in us. And the great keeper of the law, Jesus Christ, is in us. The gospel means that we are free. We're free from the curse of the law. See, the gospel also means we're free from our inability to keep the law. The law was never bondage, brothers and sisters. The law can be bondage if we twist it and misapply it. You'll notice this morning when the Pharisee hears Jesus about the law of God, his instinct is to justify himself. And we can, we can become in bondage when we try and twist the law for self-justification. But the law itself can never be bondage. It can't be bondage to love God more than anything else. It can't be bondage to revere God's name, to flee from idolatry, to honor him or to love our neighbors as ourselves. That can't possibly be bondage. The only bondage the world has ever known is the bondage of sin, the bondage of lawlessness, the slavery of being unable to do what God so clearly commands. What the law tells us to do is freedom. This is why when Paul enumerates the fruit of the Spirit this morning, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, he says against these there is no law. And he's not dividing the, the law of the Old Testament from the promise of the gospel of the New Testament, but rather he's saying, as Matthew Poole points out, that these are the very things which the law commands to be done. These are the very acts of obedience that God wants us to do. And so there's nothing for the law to condemn in love, in joy, in peace. So the gospel sets us free from lawlessness. The gospel sets us free from this morning from our inability to love God's law and to do God's law. The gospel alone sets us free from our inability to stop devouring one another. The gospel alone sets us free from that inability. And Paul's very, very clear in this. If you put your trust in Jesus, then you are free from these evil desires. You're free from the poison. You're free from the hate. You're free from the malice. You're free from the envy. You're free from all of that radioactive destruction, and you don't have to go down that path, he says. And it's so easy, isn't it, to feel our total helplessness when we see that Chernobyl within erupting, and all of those radioactive isotopes floating around us to all those people just destroying everything wherever we go, blasting its toxic filth. It's so easy when we feel our helplessness, given our own hearts, a total nuclear meltdown of our own moral natures, just surging, surging with death, surging with destruction. But hear the gospel today very, very clearly. It's the best news. Jesus Christ 
The very Son of God, the Righteous One, was nailed to a cross for sinners, and in His body on the tree, He absorbs it all. He takes in all of that radioactive destruction, all of the death, all of the biting, all of the malice, all of the hate, all of the evil. Jesus Christ takes it into Himself, and He nails it into the cross so that the Apostle can say boldly today, if you belong to Christ Jesus, all of these evil desires have been nailed to the cross. They've been crucified. They're dead. And they no longer need to control you. They may cry out to you, but you're no longer bound to listen. And so don't go down that path anymore. Don't listen to those things any longer. You are free to choose the, more, the most excellent way. And so Paul gives us a choice this morning, doesn't he? Three times in our passage today, he encourages the Galatians to walk by the Spirit. Verse 16, verse 18, and verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, if that's who we are, then let us walk by the Spirit. Because being in step with the Spirit, listening to the Spirit, communing with the Spirit, nurturing our relationship to the Spirit is the only thing in this life that will produce good fruit in you. It's the only thing that there is. Packer says, all that we can ever contribute to our own Christian lives, according to Paul, is folly, inability, and need. Everything good and right and positive and valuable comes to us from Christ through the Spirit. And Paul gives us that option today. Brothers and sisters, if you truly indeed are of the Spirit, then you need to be walking in the Spirit. And so let me ask you that question this morning. If your life is a Christian believer, what are you doing to walk by the Spirit? What are you doing to live in the Spirit? And are you heeding the imperative of Scripture this morning? Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. We who are born of the Spirit may not necessarily walk by the Spirit. That is, we may not be patterning our days that they are deliberately spent communing with the Spirit of God, in the Word of God, in private prayer, in separating ourselves from the world, getting quiet enough to heed the voice of the Spirit and to realize His gracious presence. Outside of that, brothers and sisters, folly, inability, and need. Outside of that communing with the Spirit of God and deliberately looking to the Spirit of God is folly, inability, and need, and we need to hear the Apostle Paul saying, if you are of the Spirit, then walk with Him. Commune with Him. Be with Him. He is love. He is joy. He is peace. He is goodness. He is faithfulness. He is gentleness. You are folly in ability and need. Alone. And we have this great promise before us, brothers and sisters. We have this great ocean reservoir of a promise before us 
that we no longer need to listen to these evil desires, but instead we get to commune with the very God of life and allow him to impart into us all that we need. And so I'm going to ask you and myself to commit ourselves again anew to what Paul is asking us to do, to give our lives in such a way that we are deliberately walking in the Spirit, listening to His voice, realizing His power, so that He can produce in us the good fruit of His gospel. And so let's pray together as we look to God and as we look to respond to His Word today. Father, we pray that You would fill us with Your Spirit afresh, that You would give us victory over all the biting and the devouring that tears apart Your people and make us to know the love, the joy, the peace for which You gave up Your only Son. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.